and welcome to this first episode of the fifth series of the Pump Court Family Law Podcast. Today I am joined uh, by Imogen Robbins from Pump Court and Beth Woodward, a partner at Neve Solicitors, and we're going to be talking about arbitration in financial remedies proceedings. Imogen is a leading junior ranked in the Legal 500 and she is also an arbitrator. And Beth, having been a family law solicitor practicing for 25 years, specialising in all aspects of family law, has had a number of cases go to arbitration herself. So what better combination of guests to speak about arbitration? Imogen, Beth, welcome. Oh, thank you, Tara. I'm very grateful to be invited to speak about this topic. Thank you, Tara. So, Imogen, if I can just start with you, um, can you just tell me what exactly is arbitration? Mm. So arbitration is a form of private dispute resolution where the parties will appoint a suitably qualified person, so that's an arbitrator, to determine their dispute. And it has been roundly approved by the court as out-of-court dispute resolution. And what the parties are doing when they agree to arbitrate is they are agreeing that the court proceedings themselves will either be stayed if they commenced or they will not issue proceedings and they will go to arbitration. And at the end of it, the arbitrator, once they've either heard the evidence or they can determine the dispute on the papers, will produce a written award. And certainly when I hear cases, that award will be produced within 10 days. So essentially, it it is a form of a hearing and it will either be on the papers or you will hear evidence. The evidence is sworn. It is a more informal procedure, I would say. Often Mm. arbitrators will want to put the parties at their ease. You can select your own venue and you can choose a time that's convenient to you as well. So there are a lot of positives about arbitration, but it's not the same as mediation. You do get an award at the end. And the all important document when we're talking about arbitration, of course, is the ARB 1. Well, yes. What is that, Imogen? Yes. So the ARB 1 FS is for the financial scheme. I should say there is also um, a children's scheme as well. But for the financial scheme, the parties are signing, signing up to a binding agreement to arbitrate. So although the court will retain a supervisory role, it does mean that once you've signed that document, you are committing yourself to arbitration. And it's very important that the parties know what they are signing up to. So for solicitors, and one thing that 
and anybody who's considering going to arbitration, there is information around IFLA, the Institute of Family Law Arbitrators, that has a very useful document, a nutshell guide to arbitration. And within that, you can read what you're signing up to. But I think it's very important that people know that once they've signed that document, they are committing themselves to it. And I don't think that it would be appropriate for people to go into it lightly because it, it is a, a serious uh, document to, to sign. Thanks, Imogen. So Beth, Imogen touched on it slightly, but, but why is um, arbitration so useful? What, what are its benefits? So arbitration um, has a number of benefits. I think one of, when people come to see me, one of the first things they say to me is that they want to reach a settlement in a timely fashion and in a way that's fair to them and cost effective. Um, and the problem with court proceedings is that there are cases where you need um, somebody else, a third party, to make a decision, but the court process um, is expensive and can take um, quite a long time. So the beauty of arbitration is its flexibility. Um, you can, um, and, and one of the things I try to do at an early stage with all my clients is to identify what process will um, will work for them. There are some cases where you feel that if you will bring if you bring two people to the negotiation table they will be able to reach an agreement. There are other cases where actually that decision needs to be taken away and given to a third party. Um, so I've had cases in um, arbitration where there's been, for example, one specific issue that needs to be determined. I had one case where the parties had separated and entered into a separation agreement. They had then reconciled. The husband mm -hmm. said, properly reconciled. The wife said, oh, yes, we did. Um, but the reality was that when they separated the second time, the lump sum that the wife had received from the separation agreement had disappeared and she was coming back for more. Um, we um, so we had an arbitration specifically to deal with the weight to be attached to a separation agreement. Um, we got a judgment hand an award handed down, and based on that, we were able to reach an agreement without the need to go to FDR. Um, I've also had other cases where um, the issue speed has been an issue. Um, one case that I think we'll come on to talk about later because it went to appeal, um, we had an FDA. When we got the FDR date through, it was one year later. And this mm. was a case where the couple were living in the same house with their child. Um, mm. So the decision was made to go to arbitration and to achieve a, a, an outcome much quicker. Um, and then I've had other cases where um, we've identified early on that we need um, um, an arbitrator to take a, a, a role in the case. Um, and we've gone straight from agreeing to exchange voluntarily for me's to get a pension report to then have an arbitration mm. hearing listed. Um, and so that is a way of going from um, first instruction to a final hearing um, that was binding on both parties relatively quickly. Yeah, because the cost, and I've seen it so often recently in which um, 
parties have tried to resolve their differences on a voluntary basis. They go through the whole for me exercise on a voluntary basis. Then they issue court proceedings. They go through the whole for me exercise again with questionnaires. And it's just such a doubling up of costs that actually having gone through that voluntary exercise, listing it for an arbitration there and then must save the parties an enormous amount of, of money. Yes, it definitely does. Um, you do have to identify, um, um, you, it, it has to be a process that's right for a couple. That, that case I was talking about, mm. um, we didn't go to FDR um, in the interests of being cost invested and, and, and speedy. There was one yeah. or two issues that we just knew we wouldn't be able to yeah. deal with. But um, the one thing I would say in retrospect was I think that an FDR does allow you to test your case. Yeah. Um, and you have to be, you, you need to prepare the client very carefully for mm. the fact that if you go straight to an arbitration without an FDR, you are yeah. stuck with the result whether you like it or not. Um, yeah. And in respect, I think an FDR, um, the clients are happy with it, but um, for the solicitor, I as a solicitor, yeah. Um, was just um, I didn't have that chance to test my teeth, as it were, against um, yeah. an FDR. Actually, it's not just testing your case, but having an FDR can often allow you to uh, find out some detail of the other party's case, which is particularly helpful if you've, you've got a, a, an opponent that hasn't been engaging in much correspondence. Um, it allows you to, to really have a bit of a dry run. But as you say, Beth, it is very case specific you, you say um, that you you make an excellent point there I do agree um that you know it works well if you've got a, a solicitor on the other side who's who's putting their case in sport correspondence um that's very helpful if you don't have the FDR and you go all the way to final hearing it's only then that you learn um what they think about your property particulars for example and one of the things you are you also mentioned was um time and speed just out of interest what's the quickest time you've you've actually managed to set up a an arbitration from it being agreed to the date of arbitration four weeks because i had another case where um um the final hearing was listed uh, beginning of april would this be 2019 if that's right um and then lockdown was announced mm. to so the case got pulled um, but we had already gone through the process of doing all that updating disclosure incurring mm. costs um, and so we managed to find an agree and find an arbitrator the case was ready prepared I think the bundles were even done um, and we then set up um, an arbitration within I say four weeks two mm. to four um, mm. and it saved the clients an awful amount of cost. And, and it also meant the arbitration, I think, took two days in that case, but it was listed for three days mm. in court. Um, and, and that's something that I think it's very important to, when you're talking to clients about to say, well, yes, you are paying the cost of an arbitrator, mm. but actually what you're paying the arbitrator, you're saving if you are using your own barrister one day less. Or yes. if you the specific issues that need to be arbitrated upon and it can also it, it often is one day less because arbitrators produce their their written award um as imogen said 
10 days after the hearing or two weeks after the hearing, you find that actually what would have been a one and a half day, and so incurring the costs of two days, can easily be fitted in to a long day on the evidence, if you like, and submissions, or even written submissions afterwards. I don't know, Imogen, have you dealt with them yes. where written yes, submissions I, are? Yeah, yeah I, I think the beauty of it is, is that often you can agree to start earlier. I've had cases where the parties have asked if they can start earlier so that they can fit it in. And they've also sometimes agreed to sit late. I think it has to be very, very important that you think about your, your time limit because everybody needs to know that you've got the availability of the arbitrator and the parties and you really don't want to go into an adjournment situation so no. I think it's important to factor in the time estimate and we all know that sometimes things can go over but I think in arbitration it's absolutely crucial if you think it's going to be two days put it down for for two days because I think arbitrators will be very reluctant to incur that additional cost for the parties but also really keeping the parties to what is on the ARB1FS, because you mm -hmm. say on that what issues you want determined by the arbitrator. And I think you will find in an arbitration, if you're going off piste, they will bring you back to the points mm -hmm. that are on your ARB. Um, yeah. FS. So it's really important to define those, but and to think very, very carefully about your time estimate. But certainly for me, I, I haven't asked for written submissions, but I have really been able to indicate to the parties, look, I, I've heard that point. You don't need to go any further. Yeah. I'd like you to concentrate on this and to really help them to manage the evidence because it's not worth them sitting there dealing with things that aren't going to be helpful. But of course, we all know, because I am a barrister as well, that clients will want you to raise certain mm. things. You've got to be seen to be doing that, even if um, it's it's a point that you don't feel has much mileage. So yeah. I would say really think very carefully about the points that you want to be determined. And yeah. you can think as well about um, cutting it down for judgment because you know then you, you're not going to have an extemporary judgment. So it does make things a, a lot easier for, for the parties. I, in the case that I was um, involved in recently, we sat early, we sat late. I think it's much, much easier for the professionals, but for the parties, they're probably, you know, this is a new experience for them. They're likely to be very um, anxious. And I think it's very important that they aren't overloaded with too long a day. So, oh. yes. And Beth, just coming back to you, what other advantages are there of arbitration? And if there are none, what about some disadvantages? Well, Imogen's a case in point. Um, when we go to a final hearing, we never really know what judge is going to be hearing it. And with all due respect to shipping judges, um, you do sometimes have deputy district judges um, specialising in shipping law, um, determining yeah. your, um, your clients' 
um, it, although it's effectively, although it's hoped, it's hoped with the org, the financial remedies organogram that that's going to be happening less and less. But yeah. I, I I share your your yeah. your views on that. Um, but um, it does mean that when um, talking your client through the pros and cons, you can say you're going to a um, your case is going to be determined by somebody who understands pension. Mm. Share who understands um, financial relief um, and is at the um, forefront of, of um, case, case law. Mm. Um, and you also, um, um, uh, one of the cases that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, you can get quite detailed orders. So I had one case mm. where um, a, a husband's credibility was really exposed during the, the hearing. Um, and we knew that he he had quite. It was. It became increasingly apparent that he was quite um, um, bitter towards the wife. So the the arbitrator made a, uh, an award that he, she that some of the lump sum that the wife needed to pay the husband in consideration for the transfer of the property to the wife would be held back pending him providing her with a memory stick of um, the family photos. Now that's something that's obviously perfectly possible in um, in cases that appear before judges, but often judges are, are, are very rushed and they don't mm. have the time um, to, to really um, think through mm. the order making to ensure that it's um, as enforceable as, as, as possible so that when the parties leave the, the arbitration, it can be um, implemented without difficulty. Um, but I... But to, Another advantage that um, I do want to emphasise, and that is the ability of um, an arbitrator to be proactive. So um, my most recent arbitrated case um, had a very recalcitrant husband. He, um, he didn't comply with the FDA order, um, and it became apparent as we neared the arbitration hearing that we needed a valuation of the business because he was using the, the business, um, storing money in the business that um, could um, to, to disguise the level of his income. Um, and so as we approached the arbitration, we needed two or three directions appointments um, really to, to tackle that. Um, and the arbitrator was able to um, email the parties and say, I need these documents by 4 p.m. on Friday, failing which there'll be a directions appointment before me on Tuesday. Um, and then about two weeks before the final arbitration hearing, there was another hearing in which we managed to squeeze the timetable in um, to ensure that we didn't lose the three days. So that, that ability of the arbitrator to be proactive um, mm really assists because unfortunately courts if you make an application to court for a directions appointment you're waiting months and I guess the sorts of cases that are ideally suited to arbitration as a as a sort of um choice as opposed to FDR are those in which there are big factual disputes Tara, I would say that any case is suited to arbitration. And the reason I would say that is where you've got parties of very limited resources, they can be confident 
that they can limit the arbitration substantially and make it incredibly cost effective. Mm. I have dealt with cases where the parties have probably been on reasonably good terms, but haven't been able to reach an agreement. I've also been involved in a number of cases where they are incredibly um, acrimonious. And the only reason that arbitration has probably been chosen is because of the delay involved. You've got some cases that I think Beth has already said. I know in my local court, uh, I was told that a final hearing wouldn't be until the end of the year. And this is just at the end of January. That's too long for for people to wait often. So they Mm. will go down the route of arbitration, not because it was necessarily first in their mind, but because it's something that's going to lead to a resolution sooner. So I think the one area that is probably the area to have caution is litigants in person, because I can say I, I if there's a litigant in person on the, the other side, I think you may find that a lot of arbitrators might be reluctant. I, I wouldn't arbitrate a case where they were both litigants in person. It might be different where they were, for instance, a professional, where it was a, a solicitor acting for themselves or something like that. Yeah. But I I think. If you have got a lot of factual disputes, for sure, you will get all of those determined. But I I wouldn't, when you're looking at arbitration, necessarily narrow it. And and often it can take the heat out of things because you can be that little bit more informal that where things have been really, really tough for the parties, when you get in front of an arbitrator who has a very common sense approach it can often lead to a case where the temperature is is taken out of it and certainly I did a case where I I was acting for one of the parties and the way that the arbitrator approached it was just fantastic and he he made an award that the parties accepted but more than anything I think they went away feeling that they'd been heard and the heat taken out of it and I think a courtroom and the setup in the courtroom it it it's it can be far more um formal and when people have got to walk away and they've got young children and things like that if you can if you can get them to a place where yes the award is good it's sound it's valid mm. but they feel that they've they've been heard then actually moving on with their lives can be a lot easier because the, you think even the venue can lend itself to that if you're in if you're in a, a very old courtroom with no facilities where it's cold you can even have buckets dripping water and the like it's not conducive to a great no. experience whereas if you're in a really good surroundings and people are given that time and that space i i i think the thing that convinced me to train as an arbitrator was because I found the experience for for the parties I was involved with far better than often going going to court, a a much better venue. Well, I have to say the arbitrations I've done have been a mixture of um, at a very swanky hotel, which 
I enjoyed immensely, not least because the snacks were so much better. But also the great thing about arbitrations, with the courts now returning to attended hearings for final hearings, arbitrations can still be remote if both parties agree to it. So there's much more flexibility all round. So we're obviously all fans of arbitration. Um, if your party is keen to arbitrate, but the other other parties not showing any sort of willingness or signs, is there anything you can do to to try and encourage it or or um, or or get them to sign up, Imogen? I think one thing that you might like to think about is having a preliminary meeting with an arbitrator because you don't have to sign yourself up immediately. And as a, as a solicitor, you can make those investigations. So you can either choose a named arbitrator, you can approach different arbitrators, or you can, you can ask IFLA to appoint one for you. But I think it, it might be worth almost in that scenario, getting three arbitrators that you like the look of and maybe sending those CVs off to the opposite party and reminding them that something that is so hard for people is that they think they're going to have their final hearing and that the last minute the court can't hear it. And that seems to be happening quite regularly and often brief fees have been incurred. And it, it's not going ahead. Mm. And I think that's something we really want to avoid because whether we like it or not, financial remedies are not top of the tree for the court system, which is very, very overburdened with, with lots of other mm. cases. And, and obviously when they come to triage cases, the finances are not at the top of the list as we all know so mm. you would be avoiding that and I think that's probably something worth saying because I know for me I've, I've had experience of cases being pulled even the day before and we've managed to to do something we've had a round table or you know private FDR has been arranged but it, it's it, it just makes the process that much more stressful and I think if you can emphasize that it's at the party's convenience, they can choose the arbitrator. And we mustn't forget that there is now a way to challenge arbitration. I think before when people have thought about it, they've thought, well, there's no means of challenging an arbitration. They're so limited, we'd be stuck with it. We're not signing our parties up oh. to that. Uh, so... so so just setting out the benefits really I, I is, as a way so. of encouragement. Is yes. there anything more you can do or is that the limit, Beth? I think what Imogen says um, makes complete sense. And for somebody who um, practices in family law, um, you can appeal to um, the other solicitors sense that this is um, the, the safer option. It's the more mm. cost safer option and there is a growing awareness that uh, of the benefits of arbitration I think where um, I've struggled to convince somebody of arbitration it's either way you've got somebody who doesn't understand it um, mm. side or it's quite interesting if you've got a real if you if you if your clients offers have been utterly reasonable and you suggest arbitration to the other party they're going to come back and say no if they know <laughs> that they're um, I, I don't know how that yeah. helps 
I'm just, no. I guess what I'm say is that um, I think that there's a growing awareness of the benefits of arbitration and when people turn it down it often is because um, that um, the solicitors aware that their client's mm. case perhaps that they don't want their case to be tested so quickly in law. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well if someone's just generally being obstructive and and profiting off any delay whether it might be you know someone who's in the family home when in a situation where it should clearly be sold or someone who who might um have have uh some sort of cost benefit to 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 dealing with it on a slower basis then they're going to be obstructive you're never going to get them to an arbitration unless they agree are you no and 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 as you're speaking i was thinking that but what arbitration has got going for it, where other forms of ADR haven't got um, that benefit, is that you can make an application to court um, and then agree to arbitrate. Mm. Um, so um, you are perhaps, um, if push comes to shove, you're facing someone with either a hearing or an arbitration. Um, yeah. So um, and a, 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 a choice of two there. Yeah. And I think because um, Imogen mentioned it earlier, um, prior to coming on the podcast, that, that despite there being all these benefits, we're still in, in a situation where there haven't actually been that many arbitrations. What was the figure, Imogen, that you used? There were, I believe, 84 arbitrations mm. last year. That is up from previous years. And I think that it will begin to gain traction because I think we will talk a little bit about the case of Haley, And that has now given yeah. confidence that people aren't just stuck with the very limited basis upon which they can challenge under the Arbitration yeah. Act. So it has, op- it has opened it, it up. Uh, so, so, yes. And Beth, when you're um, setting up a, an arbitration and you're advising your clients, what sorts of things are you thinking about in terms of, so other side have agreed to arbitrate, um, what sorts of things are you thinking about when you're thinking about choice of arbitrator and or preparing for the arbitration generally? Yeah, that's a tricky one. I know that your chambers, Tara and Imogen, have got really good arbitrators. Um, um, and it's about, um, um, it's finding the, the right arbitrator in the same way as you'd find the right business valuer. Um, so um, one of the hurdles can be agreeing an arbitrator. I think you said earlier, Tara, um, you um, or, or Imogen said that perhaps the best way of dealing with it um, is to propose three um, out mm. of um, the other party can um, select one um, because you do want to make sure that everybody goes into this believing that they um, that the arbitrator is completely neutral. Mm. Um, where um, we um, all some barristers um, have their own um, there some there are some nuances um, for different barristers. I'm not saying that very well, but what I'm trying mm. to say. I do try and match the arbitrator with um, my case as far as yeah. I can. Um, but obviously that's subject to the other party agreeing um, the choice of arbitrator. Apart from that, I would say that um, um, it, you're preparing in the same way as you would for a final hearing. Um, but because you 
um, you, you usually pay the arbitrator um, per bundle, as, as per lever arch file. So there's quite a lot of focus on trying to get your final bundle to, I think it's 350 pages. Um, I know that there's similar directives um, in the court nowadays, um, but I found that actually um, with an arbitrator where you're aware that you might be increasing the cost for both parties if you allow too much to go in, that you're, you're focused from the start on narrowing the issues um, and also ensuring that only essential information and issues are put before the arbitrator. Just going back to choice of arbitrator, um, one of my colleagues, and actually this was in the context of a private FDR judge, but I think it applies just as equally um, for arbitrators. One of my colleagues said, look on Lawtel and have a look at every single case that they've been involved in and see whether they act mostly for the wife or the husband and see whether they've won on certain points. So if you've got a case where you're arguing um, a, uh, a ring fencing of inherited assets or something like that, have a look at how they've run those arguments before and whether they've succeeded. And actually, do you know what? I, I sort of scoffed when he suggested that, but he was absolutely right. It was, it was, it, he was spot on. It's a very so, good tip, Imogen. I've written it down. Oh, sorry, Tara. I've written that down, Tara, and I'm going to follow that tip. It was really helpful. So, Imogen, can I move on to you now? Because you spoke about uh, how arbitration awards um, can be overturned. Uh, can I ask you a bit about that? Because we've had the cases of Haley and Haley and A and A arbitration guidance, which was Moston's recent case. What is the law now uh, on appeals of arbitration awards? Well, in a nutshell, we are now in a situation where you can challenge the arbitral award in the same way that you would um, challenge a normal financial remedy decision. So from that point of view, we've, we've now gone beyond those narrow areas of challenge under the Arbitration Act to the case of Haley and Haley, which in some respects is a double-edged sword because you may have people going to arbitration thinking, well, this is final and the way to get out of it is going to be very difficult. We know that, that the award will be final, but you've now got the court saying, well, no, they, they, they retain ultimate control and they can substitute um, their, own, uh, their own decision for that of the arbitrator. So for instance, the case that Beth and I were involved in went to a circuit judge and there were various areas that, that were being challenged within that. And the circuit judge was very clear that there were certain points that she would agree with, certain points she wouldn't agree with. And she then substituted her own discretion for that of the discretion of the arbitrator. And the, the order then was made and the parties had to abide by, by that order. So... From that point of view, you've got the confidence given to parties if they want to challenge 
they know that they can challenge the award in the same way that they would a financial remedies order. But you have got taken away now from arbitration that finality that really people were often signing up to because they wanted to know that whatever decision was made, that that was going to be the end of matters for them. So I, I, from my perspective, I think the ability to be able to challenge the arbitral award really means now that there has to be very little reason why people wouldn't want to be going to, to arbitration. I think the one area um, that you have to be aware of is the same as with when you get a final order is you can go back to the arbitrator to seek clarification after the award. So once you get your written award, you are still able then to go back with your points of clarification. So, and you will get written points of clarification. So from that point of view, you need to have exhausted that route before you think about um, any any challenge. But we all know that really challenges to final orders in financial remedies are not that common in any event. But yes, Haley has made it clear that um, that if the if the award is wrong, then it it can be challenged. Yeah. Can I just dip in there, Imogen? I was going Absolutely. to say, I think on that appeal case we, you were talking about, um, the circuit judge was helped by having a, a clear award um, explaining the, um, the, the basis upon which and the reasoning behind the award being granted. Um, and so that um, the circuit judge was able to uphold the majority of the award um, and only really honed in on one point where the arbitrator had perhaps been less clear than the circuit judge wanted. Um, and that, that in itself assisted um, because we all have cases where um, judgments have been handed down um, um, verbally um, and it can be more difficult to um, get, um, you, you then have to wait for um, a transcript. transcript. Yeah, to be drawn up. And A&A Arbitration Guidance 2021, um, the case I was referring to of Mr Justice Mostyn, um, he sets out, doesn't he, some guidance at the end of that um, case, which, which helps us further. He confirms, doesn't he, that the application should be made by Form A when appealing, so you don't need to be bothered about making an application pursuant to the Arbitration Act. Um, and he also talks a little bit about who will deal with the appeal. Yes, Tara, I mean, you can, you have to really look at your level of judge effectively. I mean, you can go to a high court judge, but normally, I mean, certainly for the bread and butter type of cases that, that most solicitors will find coming across their desk it's going to be uh, an application to to a circuit judge mm. and I have to say that it, it's generally dealt with rapid rapidly so you're not going to be left hanging for for a long time but this really narrow points of challenge have have now gone yeah. um, so I think that that that's been that's been very good and I I do think that we will see more cases coming through now um, as as a result of that. Yeah. And he also confirmed, didn't he, that um, 
the, the permission stage, if you like, would be dealt with on paper by an allocating um, yes. judge? Well, yes, what normally happens, it would be in the same way as you would appeal, that you would, you would um, have the permission stage and then the, they would just move then straight to the appeal itself. So, so really that, that delay of seeking permission, you have to really be ready with your your case and with your mm. arguments so they would generally both be listed together i i know for the case that i dealt with with beth we had a really torrid time getting the court to give us any information as to how they were going to be dealing with it mm. uh, and i think we just had to go into it on the basis that we hadn't heard from the judge. We were really um, down to the wire. It was nothing to do with the judge's fault. I think just with the, the pressure that the courts are under. So we just had to approach it on the basis that the permission stage and the appeal stage would be dealt with together. So I would say, don't be caught out on that. When you're listed, be absolutely prepared that you will probably have to deal, um, to deal with both. But they were um, triaged and allocated to the appropriate level of judge, yes. And I think um, A&A also confirms that even if you're only um, appealing on a certain part of the order, um, a judge uh, hearing the appeal of an arbitration award can also vary other parts of the order without the need for a respondent to have appealed to. Mm. Yes, and I think that you have to be alive to that. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. There, there's, there's always that risk, isn't there? And I, I think the parties have to go into it with their, with their eyes open. I mean, we, in Beth's case, and we were responding to the appeal. So we, we were in a good position in that respect. But I think, often you you do have to be very careful when you come to appeal because you may find that that the judge can substitute their own discretion mm. well Imogen Beth thank you so much for both joining me on today's podcast I could talk about this for hours um that has been incredibly helpful and I've certain, certainly come away with some some excellent tips from you both so so thank you um, Tara, I'm hoping that um, your listeners might be encouraged to um, take the plunge into arbitration if they haven't already. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Um, and as ever, if anyone has any ideas for some topics, please do email me at t.lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, at pumpcourtchambers.com. Thank you. Thank you.